welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Good morning. It's great to be with you. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller makes a striking statement. He says, human beings are hope-shaped creatures. The way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. Human beings are hope-shaped creatures. We run on hope. Hope gets us up out of bed. It energizes us. It focuses our attention. It pulls us out of ourselves. It overcomes our fears. We need hope, especially when things are difficult. We need hope. According to Hebrews 6.19, hope is an anchor for the soul. The image is an ancient one of boats that were being brought into a difficult harbor. What they would do is send a smaller boat with the anchor on it in first. They would plant the anchor in the harbor and then pull on the rope attached to the boat and pull the boat into the harbor. Hope is an anchor of the soul. Once our future is locked in to something solid, we can live confidently and courageously in the present, no matter what our circumstances are. I learned the power of hope uh, when I was in graduate school. Uh, One of the things that I had to do was to write a dissertation. A dissertation is a long, complicated book that no one will ever read. And After several years of working on this, uh, facing a number of challenges and setbacks that that we had, uh, I pretty much lost all hope that I was going to be able to finish this thing. And my last appointment with my supervisor, which I was dreading, uh, was to spend the day working through the latest chapter that I had written, a draft of it. And at one point, uh, he, he asked me a question. He said, are you a perfectionist? Yes. Why do you ask? He said, because this is good enough. What? This is good enough for a dissertation. What? This is good enough for a dissertation. Now you need to write the rest of the chapters and so on, but they don't have to be any better than this. This is good enough to pass as a dissertation. What? (laughs) And something amazing happened. The the fog kind of lifted and what happened was hope. And it changed everything. I was much more confident. I was able to focus more. I I had more discipline. I had hope. Our friend, uh, philosopher Greg Gansel writes in his wonderful book, our deepest desires, that hope is about how we see or interpret the future. To have hope is to see the future as good, uh, as as a place where I will be okay. Those of us who struggle with anxiety know what it's like to catastrophize, to uh, spin out thoughts about, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? Some of us 
struggle with FOMO, fear of missing out. Well, if I, if I, if I don't do this, then what am I going to miss out on? And I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. And as I've gotten older, I've moved uh, more and more into fear of having missed out. Um, you know, it, well, I should have done this. And if I'd only done that, then maybe I could do this. And if I'd only lived over here, then, then maybe I'd be okay now. And, and, and so now that since I didn't do that, uh, I, I'm going to have to work really hard right now to, to try to make up for lost time. But if I have hope, if I see that my future is good, that I will be okay, then it takes the pressure off now. It, 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 I can actually live in the present and find joy in it and be faithful to what God uh, has called me to, to be and do here now without being shackled or driven by fear. To hope is to see the future, to interpret the future as good. And of course, there's a big difference between hope that is well-grounded and solid and based in reality on the one hand and wishful thinking uh, or hoping in something that can't deliver what we need on the other hand. Now, the hope I experienced in my discussion with my supervisor was, was a good hope. It was a rational hope because it was based on what he knew. It was based on his word, and he is a world-class expert on these things, and he knows exactly what he's talking about, and he was right. It was more reasonable for me to trust what he had to say about my work than my own feelings about it or my feelings about my, my circumstances and what I could see around me. Good hope, true hope, rational hope is an anchor that is planted in solid ground. It's what we want. It's what we need, especially in, in difficult circumstances. And we are obviously facing uh, very difficult circumstances and challenging circumstances right now and in will continue to do so for a while in the coming weeks with the coronavirus uh, pandemic. How can we have the confidence and the courage uh, to live in this time, not just to try and survive, but to live into what Jesus calls us to do and be during this time, to step up uh, right now? Is it possible to live that way? Yes but not without hope, not without good hope, true hope, rational hope, deep hope, hope that is anchored in solid ground. Now, the early Christians uh, lived that way. They were known, actually, for their hope, especially in difficult circumstances and suffering. I'm not going to be talking about First Peter this morning, but I would highly recommend that you do as I'm doing right now and, and spend time studying 1 Peter during this time because uh, proportionately, it's the book in the Bible that talks more about suffering than any other one, but it also talks a lot about hope. That was the mark of, of the early Christians and their hope was based in what happened almost 2,000 years ago this week, uh, the last week of Jesus' early life, culminating in his death and his resurrection. It's the most important week of the Christian year, and it begins today.
It's called Passion Week. Uh, not as a friend of mine once speculated, because Jesus was really passionate this week. He was really emotional. Passion is a Latin-based word that means suffering. It's suffering week, not exactly a Madison Avenue slogan that we would uh, recommend uh, for marketing. But actually, when you're going through hard times, someone who has suffered is the kind of person you want to actually listen to. So it's a, it's a week of Jesus' suffering. And today is the first day of that week. Today is traditionally called Palm Sunday uh, because it was on that Sunday that Jesus rode into or entered the city of Jerusalem and it's described in our gospel reading for, this, for today. And let's uh, please follow along with me if you'd like from Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, to, to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches. We learned from the Gospel of John that these were palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So what's going on? Well, the, the streets of, of Jerusalem are filled with pilgrims who have come to celebrate Passover festival this week. And the air was abuzz with talk about this Jesus. Uh, have you heard about this guy? Uh, his, his teaching is amazing. He, he knows how to ask hard questions of the, of the uh, corrupt religious leaders. He does miracles. Uh, he heals people. Rumor has it that he actually brought Lazarus back to life from the dead. Could he be the one we're waiting for? Could he be the promised Messiah? At this time, Israel was an occupied country. It was held hostage by the Roman government. Citizens had to pay taxes to Caesar. They had to pledge allegiance, in effect, worship to Caesar as their king. They were oppressed. And the Old Testament had promised that there was a coming Messiah who would be the true king and he would liberate them. He would set them free his people free from prison and bondage and darkness. And these folks were ready to be liberated. There was great messianic fervor at this time. And the prevailing view was that the Messiah would be a military conqueror who would raise an army and overthrow Rome by force. And in recent decades, a number of men had risen up and formed armies and, and, and tried to pull this off, at least 18 that we know of. And in each case, the Romans put down the rebellion 
and they crucified each one of these guys. They left their bodies to hang on crosses in front of everyone as a kind of visual announcement. Don't mess with Rome. There is one king, Caesar. But each time these people had hoped that this would be the one, this would be the true Messiah. And now here's Jesus. Maybe God is listening. Maybe God is working. Maybe God is answering our prayers. And so we see that Jesus rode into town on the, on the foal of a donkey in direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 about a king entering that way. Here we go. Why palm branches? Why shouts of Hosanna? Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, they were following the pattern of Psalm 118, which is a psalm that was part of the Passover liturgy. So this was something that was familiar to them this week. They were singing it together. And in this, in this psalm, it, there's a description of a celebratory welcoming of a, of a, of a hero, which follows the, the pattern of the welcoming of Israelite kings in the past. In verses 25 through 27, it says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. That Lord save us, transliterated into uh, from the Hebrew, is Hosanna. So these people are just, they're, they're into the spirit of Psalm 118, the welcoming of the true king. Do you see what's going on here? Hope. Finally, after we had all but given up, God is showing up. Finally, God is fulfilling his promises. He's answering our prayers. Finally, Rome is going to be toast. Uh, finally, the tables will be turned. Injustice will be made right. Justice will reign. Finally, after being disappointed so many times for so long, we're going to be okay. But of course, it wasn't okay. It didn't take long that week to figure out that Jesus was not fitting into their program. He was not fulfilling their expectations. He didn't wield a sword. He didn't raise an army. And by Friday, they were calling for Jesus to be crucified. He's just another false Messiah, another false hope. Sound familiar? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you feel like that right now. You have a history of getting your hopes up for something that will make your future good, that will make things all right. If I can just get this job, if I can get into graduate school, if I can get married, if we can get this house, I'll be okay. It seems like it could happen. You have a burst of confidence in anticipation of a good future, but it doesn't happen. Instead, there's a rejection letter, a Dear John letter, a phone call from the doctor with bad news, another disappointment, another false hope, and eventually you don't want to hope at all again. 
But what if there really is solid ground after all? What if there is good hope, true hope, deep hope? What if there is an anchor that will hold? Ironically, these people here on Palm Sunday were so close and yet so far. They were actually looking at the true Messiah riding a donkey into town. But they didn't see the true Messiah. Their misunderstandings and misconceptions and faulty assumptions clouded their vision so that they didn't see Jesus. Their uh, distorted picture of what it would look like if God answered their prayers kept them from seeing that God was answering their prayers right then. And I wonder how often that's true for us. We think God isn't listening, God doesn't care, God's not doing anything, when it, in fact, he's actually at work doing things, answering our prayers right then, but we don't see it because we're looking for something different. One of my favorite stories is a story that, that uh, um, the, the former premier of the, of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev, used to tell about a time when there was a wave of petty theft in, in the Soviet Union, and they posted guards at the different factories to catch the workers stealing the stuff. And at the timber works in Leningrad, they posted a guard who knew all the workers. And so the first night, out comes Pyotr Petrovich pushing a wheelbarrow with a large, suspicious-looking sack on it, and the guard says, okay, Petrovitz, what's, what's in the sack? And he said, just sawdust and shavings. Yeah, right, Put, tip it out. So he tipped it out. And sure enough, it was just sawdust and shavings. So he put it all back in the wheelbarrow and wheeled it home. Next night, out comes Pyotr Petrovitz pushing a, a, a wheelbarrow with a large suspicious looking sack on it. Okay, Petrovitz, what's in the wheelbarrow? Just sawdust and shavings. Tip it out, tipped it out, just sawdust and shavings. Puts it all back in the wheelbarrow, wheels it off. The next night, the same thing happens. The next night, the same thing happens all week. And finally, by the last day of the week, uh, the, 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 the uh, guard is, you know, his curiosity overcomes his frustration. And he says, okay, look, Petrovich, I know you're smuggling something out of here. Just tell me what it is and I'll let you go. And Petrovich said, okay wheelbarrows. You see, the guard was looking for something else and he actually missed what was really going on. We can miss what God is doing because we're looking for something else. Now, one of the big misconceptions that these folks had is one that uh, is very relevant to us today, and that is the nature and role of suffering. They couldn't imagine Messiah suffering. He's not someone who suffers. No, he's victorious. He is successful. He has God's favor. And that means he won't suffer. God, uh, only sinful people suffer. Passion week? Are you kidding? Jesus hanging on a cross? Are you kidding? That's for false messiahs. We've seen that our whole lives. We know what that's all about. That can't be true. That can't be what God is doing. But of course, we look back on this to millennia later and we say, well, 
You know, how did you miss it? In Psalm 118, just before the verses that they were shouting, uh, when Jesus was coming, when on, was on his donkey, uh, is a famous verse about the Messiah, uh, we know now, which says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He would be rejected. Isaiah 53 describes the Messiah as a suffering servant, suffering servant. The clues were there, but it's easy to understand why these folks miss them because, you know, we're likely to miss them as well. Who would imagine that God, the creator of the universe, would reveal himself most supremely and most definitively in weakness, humility, suffering, self-giving, sacrificial love. That's not the American or the Israelite way, but it turns out it's God's way. God was deeply at work during Passion Week, he was actually delivering his people from slavery, but slavery of the deepest kind, to sin and death. And that's a slavery that affects all of us. That's a brokenness that separates all of us from God in his life. If Jesus had overthrown the Romans in a political liberation, uh, well, that would have been great for them at that time under those circumstances. Uh, but their deeper slavery would have remained and the deeper slavery of everybody else, including the Romans and including us. It would be an interesting historical event. We'd read about it in our history books, but it would have no relevance to us today. We would not be worshiping Jesus today. History would be vastly, vastly different. Just to mention one thing. One of the things we most value right now are hospitals. But it's important to realize that the existence of hospitals is a Christian contribution to the world. The hospital, the first hospital was invented by an early follower of Jesus who was taking seriously Jesus' model of self-giving love. It would probably never have happened if Jesus had simply been a political conqueror. In Jesus' suffering during Passion Week, God was doing something far, far bigger and deeper than anyone had ever even uh, dared to pray. He was giving us what the Bible calls a future and a hope. True hope, good hope is hope in someone or something that can actually deliver what we need. Solid ground, the deepest, truest possible hope is in Jesus because of Passion Week. Jesus, only Jesus, took all of our sin upon himself. He suffered and died to pay our debt and then rose from the dead and thereby conquered death itself. And that's the only way it could be done. That's why Passion Week is at the center of Christianity. God was at work, not in spite of suffering, 
but in and through the suffering of Jesus that week. And that's why we who trust Jesus have hope, solid hope, true hope. Because of him, our future is good. We will be okay. It's settled. It was settled in Passion Week. Things may be rough now, maybe quite rough. We live in a broken world. That's the present. But the future is a different story altogether. In fact, it's a, it's a story with a really good ending. In the last book of the Bible, the second to last chapter, we get a taste of it. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. You can bank on it because he knows what he's talking about. I encourage you to meditate on these words this week. Let them shape the way you live your life now. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, during this time, as always, our ultimate hope is not in what we see around us. It's not in our circumstances. It's not in what's happening right now. Our ultimate hope now is not even in uh, the possibility of a vaccine, uh, the prospects of finding a job when all this is over, or our business returning to profitability when all of this is over. All those are, though, those are great things, and we should be praying for those and working for those right now. Let's pray earnestly for the medical uh, personnel who are working sacrificially for us, for the scientists who are laboring to discover a vaccine and a cure, for the engineers who are uh, developing tests and ventilators and treatment centers and so on. Let's, let's love and serve each other and those who are most vulnerable. We can do those things not out of fear, but with freedom and confidence and courage and even joy because our ultimate hope is beyond those things, is anchored in something beyond those things, in the solid ground of Jesus and what he accomplished for us during Passion Week. As the hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The reason that we follow a church calendar 
is because it, it kind of pushes us to remember things like the Passion Week, which might be uncomfortable. We may not pay attention to it otherwise. And that's a good thing. And so this week, I encourage you to, to meditate on these things, to, to think about what Jesus did during Passion Week and how that grounds your hope during this time and for the future. And if you're listening to this and you have, you know, it sounds interesting, but, but you've never experienced that hope. You've never done anything with what Jesus did for you what he accomplished for you in Passion Week, then this week would be a great time to, to change that. Today would be a very good time to change that. And basically all you need to do is just acknowledge to him that you're broken, that you're sinful, that you need forgiveness, and that you trust Jesus and what he did for you. That that, that solid ground is, is where you want to put your hope. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life and, and make you his follower and, and then to be a part of his nonviolent, non-political army uh, that's, that's all about uh, doing the, the sorts of things that he did. Self-sacrificial love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for knowing so much more than we do, for uh, bringing us back to yourself during Passion Week. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Father, capture us with the beauty of this, of the, for the power of this and for the hope of this. May we be people that you energize to be hopeful people in the midst of difficulty, representing you with courage and confidence and joy. In the name of Jesus, amen.